0: Maybe some of you over the years have watched the show on the Discovery Channel, Mythbusters. They sort of take, you know, conventional wisdom, put it to the test, and find out if it's true. And it turns out a lot of things that we just assume to be true, well, they really aren't exactly true. And a few years ago, I took a little Mythbusters quiz online. Unfortunately, it was all about winter. hate to remind you of winter today, but it was about that, and I want to give it to you today and see how you do. So here we go. Four questions, all true or false? If you lick a metal pole, when the temperature is below freezing, your tongue will stick to it. True or false? What do you think? You're afraid. Somebody said true. Let's see. True. It is true. Okay. Second question. It's colder in the wintertime because the earth is farther from the sun. True or false? false? Mixed. The answer's false. Okay. Number three. A falling icicle can kill a person. Everybody says true, and the answer is true. And the last one, the Eskimo language has nearly 100 words for snow, while English has only one, true or false? And the answer is, it is false, right? In Illinois, we have several words for snow that we can't use in church, but we have them, right? If you don't agree with those answers, you are welcome to email MythBusters at DiscoveryChannel.com, and not me, Okay. Today we begin a new series that I'm calling Mythbusters, and we're thinking about some conventional wisdom, sort of things that we carry with us that we assume to be true or maybe we act like they're true even though scripture might tell us something different. And so I want us to think about one about the nature of the church. You know when I was a kid, I don't know if you guys had some of this, some of you are maybe too young for this, but they used a lot of finger rhymes in Sunday school Okay, when I was really little and one of them goes like this, you know this? Here's the church here's the steeple, you know it, open the doors What does that say? So what's the church? This is the church, and inside the church, you'll find the people. Now, when I was a kid, I always got it wrong, so when I opened the doors, there was nobody there, (laughs) which was really not a good sign for a future preacher, is it? But anyway, but that shows how we think about church, right? That the building, the building we're in today, that's the church, and then there's people who come in and fill up the church. But I think most of us know that's not an entirely accurate way of thinking about church, but we fall into that because the church really is important to us. For church leaders like me, it can be an important part of who we are to the community, right? We want our building to look good. We want our grounds to look good because that says something about who this group of people is. So the church, we spend a lot of time, a lot of money on the building. The building can become important because of events that have taken place in this building. Like some of you were baptized right up there. And so this building has special meaning for you. Some of you were married like right in this spot. And so this room really matters. Or there was a funeral of a parent or a grandparent or maybe a spouse or a child. And their body was right here. And so this building has become a big part of your life. But is it the church. That's what I want us to think about this morning and think about what scripture actually says. You know, the question for us is, if this building burned down or was hit by a tornado, would Taylorville Christian Church still exist? That's a question we need to think about. What is the church without the building? When we look in the New Testament, and the New Testament talks about the church, it uses a specific word almost always to talk about church. And that word in Greek is ekklesia, okay? And the the sort of etymology of that word, where does it come from? It's a compound word with a preposition and a word with it, and it means the called out ones, okay? And it became in first century use to just simply mean an assembly. And so you might have an assembly of Some group of people, whether it's a civic organization or whether it's a religious organization, whether Christian or not, and they would just be an assembly. So a group of people gathered together. This is an assembly this morning. And so the church took that over to describe themselves because they assembled themselves, right? And so that became the word in the New Testament. Now, it's a little interesting because all the earliest Christians were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles, all Jews. And they had a word in Hebrew that they used for a gathering of people who had come together, and that's a word we're familiar with it, synagogue. So why didn't they use that word in early Christian usage? It seems that they wanted to set themselves apart from some of the early legalism in the life of the Jews, and so they called themselves something different. The ecclesia, the assembly the church. Now, how did early Christian writers talk about that? I want us to run through several passages today, a few in Acts, one in Romans, one in 1 Corinthians. We're not going to spend long on either one, but to see about how the early church talked about themselves. So, in Acts chapter 16, we have Paul and Silas. They're ministering in Philippi. There's a woman there who has an evil spirit. They release her from the evil spirit, but because of their action, strangely enough, they get arrested. And then they're released from prison. And this is what we read in verse 40 of chapter 16. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. Well, We'd sort of say they went to the church. But they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Why did they go to Lydia's house? Because that's where the church had gathered They didn't have a building. They didn't own a building that they could go to. They met in people's homes. And we find that at work all through the New Testament. That, that, well, the church just met where they could. And if you had sort of a wealthy member who had a large house, that's probably where the church met. Because that was the biggest room that they had in common. So in Philippi, they met in Lydia's house. Makes sense. And so a lot of the time they met, they had sort of house churches. The building wasn't the church. The people were the church. Chapter 18, they're in Corinth. Paul's normal practice is to go to the synagogue first, and he preaches to the Jews who were expecting the Messiah, and he would show them how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of the Messiah. And sometimes it didn't go so well. Chapter 18, verse 5, When Silas and Timothy came to Paul, came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. That's Paul's message. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecy. God had put this in motion many years before Jesus came. And Jesus is the one that they were looking for. But... When they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. In other words, it is not worth me even carrying the dust out of this building because you guys are so worthless in the way you've treated me. So he shakes the dust out, he walks out, says, I'm going to teach the Gentiles. Then, verse 7, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius justice, a worshiper of God. And so what did he do there? That's the place that he began to preach and teach. He was just looking for a room. And apparently this man allowed Paul to use that room. Over in chapter 9, we have Paul in Ephesus. Same thing, go to the synagogue, preach to the Jews. And sometimes they heard that, sometimes they pushed back. Verse 9, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, which was another word that described Christians. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So why that? Well, it's a lecture hall. It's designed for people to gather and hear someone speak. A room Sort of like this, right? And so it was a perfect place for the church, the assembly, to gather. And Paul could use that room, just like a house, to speak to these early Christians and to speak to people who were interested in the church. So what we see so far is in Acts, you use whatever room you got. Okay, They didn't own a building, so they just used buildings that became available to them. We see a similar picture in both Romans and 1 Corinthians. In Romans chapter 16, Paul sends all kinds of greetings to people, to the church in Rome. And this is what he says in verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, who show up throughout the New Testament. My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church, the assembly, the ecclesia that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. See, almost the same thing over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, again at the end of the book, verse 19. The churches, the ecclesias in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, as does the church, the ecclesia, that meets in their home, at their house. So consistently throughout the New Testament, what we see is that the church doesn't have a building. In fact, the church wouldn't have a building. Because the Roman Empire doesn't want to allow any group that says, we have a king who's not Caesar... To be very permanent. They don't want them to own anything. And so it's not until like the 4th century when Constantine is on the throne and he declares Christianity to be the official religion that we see churches have buildings. Before that, you've got the church in Ephesus, which is this large group of people that meets in various homes throughout the city because they were available to them. So what we experience is in some ways... Very different from what the early church experienced. And what it speaks to us is this. This building, man, it's important. We use it. I love it. It's not the church. We are the church. Okay? We're the church. The people. You open the doors, you don't have the people. You open the doors and you've got the church. Because we're the church. When the New Testament talks about the church, it's always a group of people. And so we have to get that in our minds and change our mindset a little bit because it changes how we think about church. So if we gather somewhere else, we're still the church because we are the church. And there's a couple of implications that I think comes from this that helps us sort of take this into our lives. First of all, we are a community of faith. We are a community of faith. The church is a community because it's made up of people. You see, we read throughout the New Testament that the church is not designed to be lived in isolation, in solitary confinement. The church life is designed to be lived together. Why? Well, the church knew this early on because they faced all kinds of opposition. The people out in the culture said, we hear you're eating Jesus' body and drinking His blood. You must be a bunch of cannibals, right? Right? well no clearly not all right but because of that they faced persecution sometimes they were cast out of their own community they were cast out of their families no one wanted to have anything to do with them they needed new community and they found it in the church the church was there community. The church in some ways became their family. It was such an integral part of life that was the core of who they were. Church life. So we are a community of faith. We experience similar things that maybe we don't get thrown out of our culture. Our family doesn't reject us, but we share this life together. We're here to strengthen one another and encourage one another. And as we've talked about already today, to pray for one another. So we're a community of faith. But the other thing I think we need to remember is we are the church wherever we go. Okay, If we gather somewhere else, we're still the church. But when we leave this place today, we'll still be the church. And especially in a small community where people sort of know what church you go to, we're a witness about the life of this church wherever we go. And so the way we conduct ourselves at work, the way we conduct ourselves among our friends, how we treat people in Kroger or Walmart says something about who Jesus is, who this church is, because we're the church, whether we're in this room or we're somewhere else. How we respond to our kids teaches them something about the nature of of the church, how we treat our spouses, communicate something to our spouse about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be the church. Wherever we go, we're still the church. That's how the first century Christians understood themselves. That wherever they went, I mean, they're the church in Ephesus, regardless of whose home you meet in, they're still just one church. And ultimately, they were part of the larger church, Across the Roman Empire, they were the assembly, whether they had buildings or not, and for a long time, they didn't. So, it's important for us to take care of this building. It's important for us to to have this building. I'm really glad we've got it right. I'm glad we could gather in a place where we can all be together together where we got control of air conditioning and lights and you can hear me and and we don't have to arrange to meet in somebody's home every Sunday morning, but, but it's still, it's a tool. This building is a tool for ministry. We, you and me, we are the church, whether we're in this room or anywhere else. And because we are the church, we have the opportunity to communicate to the people around us who Jesus is. So I I hope that we take that responsibility seriously. And like the early church, if you read through the book of Acts, and what they were depending on was that the Holy Spirit was at work in them. And that's what made them the church. And I hope we're just as dependent on God's Spirit to be at work in us today today So we're ready to communicate who Jesus is and what it means to be the church to the people around us. Let's pray together. God, thanks for calling us together. Thanks for making us the church. And God, just like every other church, because we're all people, this church is not perfect. No church is perfect. But God, you've used the church in a powerful way for decades in this community. And we're thankful that we can claim to be part of it, that we are the church. And God, we pray that you'll continue to use this church to minister in this community and communities that surround us and tell the story of Jesus. God, help us to be the church in this place. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand continue to worship.